Let's have a chat about Gattaca Don't get mad at get mad Let's have a chat about Gattaca Listen with your Gattaca And enjoy the podcast Hi everybody, welcome to Bad Science, I'm Ethan Edinburgh. This is the show where we break down the science of a movie with a scientist and a comedian. Today, I've got two degenerate guests. That's a Gattaca reference. Wake up, people. We're talking about Gattaca. You might remember our first guest from our episode on Rampage. She's a science video producer with a PhD in genetics. It's Dr. Alex Danis. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I am super excited to talk about this movie. I hadn't watched it in about a decade and it was so much better than I remembered. Yeah, uh, same. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I do remember liking it, but I couldn't remember much about it besides like Jude Law in a wheelchair and just like very sci-fi vibes. Yeah, I similarly, I mean, I remember liking it, but I sort of thought that after so much time, maybe it wouldn't still hold up, but it totally does. So I'm super jazzed about this. Okay, sweet. And and just, you know, first things first, I want to get this knocked out real quick with you. The vaccine is out. So we're all good to go, right? Back to normal. No masks, no distancing. We're just scot-free, right? Oh, no, not quite yet. I, I'm super excited that the vaccine is out. Like this is amazing progress. It is wonderful that it's there. But you know, we got to get everybody vaccinated. We got to get up to herd immunity. And at this point, we still do not know if the vaccine prevents transmission. So you should still absolutely be wearing a mask, washing your hands, social distancing, because getting the vaccine at the moment means that you are going to have an amazing amount of protection, but you still want to make sure you're keeping everyone around you safe as well. So we're still masking. We're still masking for a bit here. But I am so encouraged that the vaccine is here and that we're on the right path. Yes, absolutely. Uh, An impossible task has been accomplished, but it, yeah, is going to take some more time, it seems. Speaking with us today, I'm so excited for this person to be joining us. She is an improviser, a musician, a writer. She does it all. She's rumored to become the next mission director at Gattaca. Hopefully you know her from the groundbreaking improvised musical podcast off book. It's Jessica McKenna. Hello. Jessica. Thanks for having me back. Please, welcome back. You were on one of our first episodes way back in May of 2018. Oh my gosh. I know, it's unbelievable. We discussed Ant-Man with Marvel's leading science supervisor, Spiro Makalakis. I still don't know if that's how you say his name. You improvised a song about quantum physics. I played some acoustic guitar. It was the first time we met and I was and continue to be a huge fan of yours. So thank you and welcome back to Bad Science. Oh my gosh, likewise. And that was really thrilling to talk about quantum physics as it relates to Ant-Man. And I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah. Um. So I'm excited to have that happen again. I am, though, a little nervous, y'all. Uh-oh. That's the first time I've ever seen Gattaca. Oh. And I thought, what is this weird tone poem? <laughs> So uh, I guess, unfortunately, I might be um, I might be a fly in the ointment, but there's plenty to discuss that was interesting and cool. But I was like, 
Okay, so this should have been a like a 1950s short story. This is very pleased with itself, um, but it's very cool and asks very cool questions. But yeah, I think especially when you watch a movie for a podcast like this, I'm taking a bunch of notes and trying to be, I think, overly analytical. I definitely found some some stuff that I wasn't thrilled with. Um, but let's start off. Let's break the ice. I have a very quick quiz, a fun quick quiz that I'm calling Ooh. Law or Hawk. Because the plot of this movie really is that Ethan Hawke's character has to become Jude Law's character. So I wanted to see if you guys could tell me if it's Law or Hawk. Great. Oh, wow. Okay. So, Alex, because I introduced you first, I'll, I'll have you answer first, okay? This person was approached to play Superman, but as soon as he tried on the costume, he said no way and backed out. Law or Hawk? Oh, I'm going to... Go with Law. Okay, Jessica McKenna. I guess I'll take the Hawk. I'll take the Hawk. It's Law. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love him as an actor, but the person that I could see being like vain enough to say no is Jude Law. <laughs> right. Um, okay, question two. Law or Hawk? After meeting Uma Thurman on the set of Gattaca, this person went on to marry her and have two children with her. It's Hawk. Oh, very confident. Jessica McKenna. I, yes. I don't know I, why I'm saying your full name, Jessica. Sorry. Well, I'll take it. Um, Yeah, I talk. I agree. And I'm confident as well. It sounds like both of you already knew this. Yes. Ethan Hawke. Yeah, they had two children and uh, I did not know that. Their daughter is in Stranger Things. Come on, Ethan. Whoa, is that Drew? Yeah. Who is she in Stranger Things? She's the co-worker at the ice cream shop. Oh my God, oh. I loved her. Yeah, she's great. Oh Maya my Hawk. lord. Maya Hawk and a great name. Shit. Yeah. I would fail at this quiz. Third question. <laughs> Law or Hawk? Their sense of smell is poor, but they can see up to eight times more clearly than the sharpest human eye. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go with a Hawk on that one. Okay. Jessica McKenna. <laughs> yeah, I think you're talking about the bird, the hawk. I that's correct. The bird, the hawk. Nothing gets past you guys. Okay, the ice has been broken. I want to be honest with you both. I have an extended amount of like, I don't know if it's just picky or just like weird plot character stuff that just rubbed me the wrong way. So Jessica, this is your first time watching the movie. Did you have a big issue with it? Or were you just, you know, along for the ride? I'm enjoying it. I want to see what happens. I want to see who the killer is. Where were you? <laughs> I didn't have a big issue. I just was like, this movie feels a little style over substance sometimes. Like, I feel like it had that feeling of people loving the sound of their own voice a little bit of like, <laughs> to me, it felt like, oh my gosh, they are so freaking in love with the production design and yeah, the like sparseness sure. of it. There's something so buttoned up about this movie to I think it's detriment. Like I think what you want is that buttoned up, really sparse, meticulous production design and costume design and the cinematography and the sound design, all of that to be the backdrop of like an intimate human story. And that's obviously what they want it to be because they want there to be like this emotional payoff at the end. But I don't think they do enough work of like watching Hawk and Law bond. It's almost like once once he's at Gattaca, then like, all right, cool. He like, Loves it. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Um, so <laughs> I think there could be a little bit more there that I was a little like, okay, you are acting as if you've already done that work and you haven't. And what's with the swimming? You know, it's just oh the swimming God. is too mm. much and too weird. 
but I didn't have a huge problem. Like I still enjoyed, I, it was more just like, yeah, I'm not picking up everything you're putting down and you seem very pleased with yourself was a little <laughs> my Gattaca vibe. Man, I, that is such an expertly worded Gattaca vibe (laughs) that that you nailed it on the head so hard I feel like um but let's start at the top I think this might organize it a little bit better the whole movie starts out in a way that I thought might bother you Alex but I'm not sure the whole thing is like super close-ups on different ways that he's like scientifically impersonating somebody else there's like different fingerprints that he puts on that has little blood bags in them and he's got peepee taped to his leg and and somehow attached to the inside of his ding dong I guess and he's got like skin cells like he has Jude Law's skin cells on him like tiny particles hair particles so my question I guess is like what did you make of this whole sequence which is really like the backbone of the movie and do you think that it would work. Is that enough to DNA wise, like replicate somebody else? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I I'd written that down too about like, which tissues can you actually get DNA from? And how much could he actually scrub up all his loose skin? So I, I, I wasn't bothered by it, because I think it's a really interesting question of You know, when we think of our DNA, I think a lot of people think that like our DNA is in one place locked inside us somewhere. But with the exception of, you know, things like red blood cells, every cell in our body has DNA. And so as we're shedding things, you know, as you're shedding hair and fingernails and skin cells all day, you're leaving a little genetic trail of cookie crumbs behind you. And so while I don't think that he could realistically have scrubbed off every ounce of dead skin to the point where he wouldn't be leaving behind his own, I do think it's a really kind of a cool entrance to the movie of how would you do it? And it it reminds me a little bit too, and maybe this is too on the nose, but like of how would you commit the perfect crime? Like if you had to go in somewhere and you could leave no trace, how would you do it? And I feel like this is where you'd start. Like you would start by getting rid of any piece of you that could fall off. But the idea that, you know, I mean, we're constantly shedding skin cells. The idea that he wouldn't shed a skin cell or a hair cell at any point is surprising to me. And in fact, I think what they find of him in the investigation is a fingernail or no, it's an eyelash. It's an eyelash. Right. Which I think hits to that point that like we are constantly shedding. And even though he was doing this perfect job, like he's still going to drop something like you cannot do that perfectly. We're shedders. Yes. Uh, can't stop, won't stop shedding. No, to a disgusting degree. <laughs> awesome. And and I love that you compared it to cookie crumbs, which sounds so nice and delicious by comparison. Yes. I got to be honest, that part you were talking about where he's scrubbing off skin cells in that little blue furnace room, which is kind of like a dry shower he's taking, I guess. Mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, like, that looks smart. Like, should we all do that? Are we missing out on being like extra clean? <laughs> I mean... He's well exfoliated. I'm sure he has the world's softest skin. Like he is going to be so, so soft to the touch. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, there's some level of which we're all covered in our own dirt and germs and microbes and skin all day that like you're, you would have to scrub down to the bone before you would be that clean. So no part of you was thinking like, oh, maybe I'll try this out. Like before I shower, I'll just stand with the water off. And just scrub myself down for a few minutes to get all this crap off that maybe the shower won't get. Well, Ethan, I need to interject here and say that (laughs) though not a scientist, I have had, you know, a couple of facials in my life. And I want to say that for your listeners, this is typically you don't want to over exfoliate. You want to (laughs) read. 
<laughs> you want to make sure that uh, you're using a style of, of exfoliant that matches your skin type. You know, if you have a, more of an oily complexion versus a dry complexion. So I just, I don't want you to just like blanket recommend exfoliating, you know, it can be damaging to your skin. That is true. There are going to be a lot of people in the comments yelling about walnut shell exfoliators who are going to be very angry. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Walnut shell exfoliators? I don't know about this. Uh, There is a popular brand of exfoliant um, (laughs) that uses walnut shells and about a year, it is a brand that I have used for many years and I in fact like that exfoliant a lot, but the internet decided it was the worst thing ever and I have seen many a TikTok yelling about uh, over exfoliating your face. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, maybe it doesn't apply to arms and legs as much, but right. uh, Yeah. Right. So we can still, you can walnut scrub your entire body, just not your face. That's too much. Yeah. Great. I just wanted to like say to each their own on their exfoliant path. You know, I don't want to just like, we can't all be Ethan Hawke in a little incinerator closet. You know, some people need to use more of like a papaya based enzyme to just sort of naturally, you know, schluff that great, off. Great wreck. I'm just adding some skincare. No, I love that. Please sprinkle that throughout the podcast. I'll sprinkle my skin throughout. <laughs> sprinkle your skin. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. Um, okay, so, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to go, like, in order. So we learn he's going to become Jude Law. He's going to become Jerome. He's not tall enough. So did they just extend his legs? That was also not super clear to me. Where did you guys fall on that? And can I have that procedure done? So I believe that is a real procedure. Wow. That people who have certain forms of dwarfism can undergo to lengthen their limbs. Holy crap. I do not believe that it is a procedure done just so that you can be four inches taller to pretend to be Jude Law. (laughs) That's sort of where the Hippocratic Oath sort of draws the line. You don't get to just be Jude Law. And And they have to tell you like, Listen, be honest with me when I ask you this next question. Why do you want to be four inches taller? Is it to be Jude Law? You have <laughs> if to it, tell me. If it is to be Jude Law, you need to, I need to know. Legally. Well, well, how would that actually work, Alex? Like you could like graft your own skin and put in like a, a metal expander, I guess, on the bone, but it certainly wouldn't that tissue wouldn't grow to look like yeah. he just had one scar, like his story about getting hit by the Chrysler, right? It would look different right would you be able to run on the treadmill right after oh it would certainly take some time for that to heal um so the bone is cut and they place in a device applied to both the femur which is your thigh bone and a lengthening device to the tibia which is your shin bone and so it seems like there is some combination of there's this rod that's in there that's giving you that additional length and perhaps that your bone, because, you know, when you get a broken bone, your bone will regrow and your bone right. uh, cells will fill in that there's some amount of that happening too, mm. though. I will admit uh, leg lengthening surgery is not my expertise, so I can't tell you what percentage <laughs> of that is which. Ugh. What about like the tissue regrowth around like, I guess we could also be led to believe that in this period, maybe they have just artificially grown tissue. Well, th- We're pretty close on that, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, things like skin grafting are pretty common. I guess we see him swimming. So there's no large skin graft coming from his back or something. He doesn't have scars there. But your skin is pretty good at regrowing. You know, your femur will regrow. You'll get that bone growth too. And I think they, I think when it's really done, it might be done slowly where you do small portions at a time versus like 
anticipating that an entire four inch chunk is going to grow into your leg all at once. So I think they do small portions. And, you know, if you imagine if you gain muscle, if you gain weight, you have this reservoir of stem cells in your body ready to make new cells and make new tissue. And, you know, we're not at a point where we can use that for regrowing a whole limb. But, you know, post injury, parts of your body will regrow. So I think they do it at a rate that, you know, things will fill in naturally versus sort of chopping out a trunk and hoping the large trunk will fill in. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I still kind of want to get the surgery, but I'll circle back to you on that <laughs> off the podcast so we can schedule it. Ethan, you are a, you are a lovely height. I, I love my height. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm 5'9", five, 5'9 nine, five, nine and a half maybe. But I mean, if I was like 6'3", I could probably dunk. And that is the only thing on my bucket list. <laughs> yes. Um. Okay. There's a scene, they flash back to when he's being born, and this is kind of the main deal of the movie. I guess they replaced a lot of dialogue with just CRISPR stuff. Yeah. How close are we to that scene where they're like very accurately estimating the time of death at your birth and the cause of death at your birth? And would you want to know that also? Yeah. So this was actually really cool because at least in the United States, in all 50 states, we actually do newborn genetic screening where you take a heel prick within minutes of the baby being born and you take blood samples from that and you look at their DNA. So that actual step of being able to predict what kinds of diseases you might develop, we're not quite there to the degree at which, you know, we can say you will die at 30 years old, but we're pretty close. I mean, we're constantly doing studies that look at the small changes that you have in your DNA that can influence whether or not you get a disease or not. And very few of these are deterministic that it is, if you have this, you know, small DNA variant, you will 100% get this disease. There are very few that are, they're called monogenic, where it's really one gene, one mutation that causes a disease. Most things are a constellation of different mutations. You know, Mm. things like I I wrote down the different things that they said. So Tay Diggs, I believe. Dr. Tay Diggs. Yes. Well, so so Tay Diggs does a different thing. Oh. So when Vincent is being born, they're just looking for things and they're looking for percentages. Hmm. And so what we do now is we take big groups of people in uh, studies called genome-wide association studies. And we say, okay, this group of people has premature baldness and this group of people doesn't. And what are the genetic differences that show up more in the people who have baldness than the people who don't. And we can sort of ascribe, uh, it's an odds ratio, but it's basically a percentage to that to say like you, because you have these different variants, you will have a 50% greater chance than normal of being prematurely bald. And, you know, we're constantly doing these studies, we're constantly learning more. And so we're definitely not at a point where we can say that definitively for everything. But we have done a lot of these kinds of studies where we can say, you know, we think with some degree of certainty that because of these different variants you have, you might be more predisposed to diabetes or, you know, he says in here, heart disorder, uh, ADD, and those kinds of things. And again, it's not deterministic. In most cases, it's not like you have these variants, so you will 100% get it. Mm -hmm. But we could say that, you know, the normal person has a 1% chance of developing this heart disease, and your genetics put you at a 30% increased risk over that 1% or I guess it's easier to think of like a 50% increased risk 
So now you have a 1.5% chance of getting that over your lifetime. Wow. And you're saying they do these readings also on newborns? They do. Uh, it depends on the state what they do. They don't typically do that kind of thing where we're looking at like heart disease, but I looked up some of the ones they do test for. So there are things that you would want to take really fast action on. So things like sickle cell disease, mm. sometimes they look for hypothyroidism. Um, one of the big ones is phenylketonuria, which if you've ever looked at the back of a Diet Coke can, uh, they say like, you know, contains phenyl ketone urea. I think it's phenyl ketone. I don't have a Coke can in front of me right now, but it'll say like, you know, it contains this compound because there's a percentage of people who can't break that down. And so knowing that early so that you can avoid foods that have it in it is very valuable. Oh, so nice. I think the statistics I was looking up were saying that there are like five to 6,000 babies each year who are tested who, you know, their lives are essentially saved because we found out something that we would want to take immediate action on kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay, very cool. Would you guys look or would you want to know all of that information? Like if they could tell you, you know, when and how your baby is likely to die, would you want to know that? And and, and would you want to know that day one? I feel like that kind of ruins the victorious celebratory mood. Oh my gosh. Yeah, good point. I do need to just backtrack really quickly. Hit it. And say a very important thing. Skincare recommendation. The <laughs> Make sure you're using toner. That's been a big game changer for me. Um, the geneticist doctor is um, Blair Underwood, not Tay Diggs. And in the deliveries, <laughs> just need to, I yep. just need to get that out into the world. Thank you. Um, in the delivery scene, the nurse who says name for the certificate is Maya Rudolph in her second ever credit. Whoa. Um, what? Bonkers. Yep. Uh, her first credit is also in the role of a nurse on Whoa. Chicago Hope. And then her second credit is Nurse in Gattaca. Um, so wow. I noticed her in the credits and I was like, seriously? And she's like wearing a surgical mask and she's in the background. So it's really hard to tell, but it is her. Awesome. Um, now to answer your question, Ethan. Yeah. I don't think I'd want to know for myself at this point, probably. <laughs> any Well, no, I'd take some information, I guess. And then I think if I was having a kid, I would hope that <laughs> we would have like an agreed upon category, like the things mm. Alex was saying, like, oh, anything that needs immediate action, yes, absolutely tell me. If it's just like probabilities, just mail it to me and I'll look at it in like six months. <laughs> you know, once we're like on a sleep schedule, yep. I've, retain I've like gotten to shower. But I think, yeah, it'd be great to know anything that needs immediate action. If it doesn't, just like, hey, this is true. Just like keep an eye out. Yeah. You're going to want to know this. Here's your little letter that you get. Just every every week you have to rewrite on your to-do list, like probable baby disease letter. Make, yeah, you got to yeah. look at that at some point. Yeah, I must open that envelope. <laughs> um, okay, great. So there's like a dozen or more launches per day at Gattaca. Gattaca, which is, I guess, some sort of like NASA type program. It seems SpaceX. It does not seem government. Yes, to good me. call. Yeah, now, yeah. Uh, SpaceX esque. Yeah. And so I thought number one, <laughs> did this bother you, Alex? That they every morning would get their finger pricked for blood as they entered work. That seemed like overkill to me. I don't know. Yeah. So on one hand, yes, I feel like if you want to do some sort of biometric scan, like just do a fingerprint scan or an eye scan, like a ret iris scan, you don't really need to be taking everybody's blood all this time. Because one of the things that they are not accurate on, at least in our current future, instead of our not so distant future, is how quickly they can do this DNA sequencing. Mm -hmm. It currently takes much longer than the five seconds that it shows in this movie, depending on what you're doing. And so 
it just feels like an insane waste of resources to be like, we're going to take your blood, we're going to extract the DNA, we're going to amplify the DNA, then we're going to analyze it. And then we're going to like, make sure you're the right person, like you'd be at your desk by now. This is too much. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. It seemed painful to me and like out of place. Like, you know, if you have to do it when I join the company, okay, you know, you got to do a blood test, whatever. But like, every morning, I'm like trying to get my coffee and find my desk and get to work and I have to get my finger pricked again like i feel like my finger would have like i don't know like a bunch of like weird pus or something by that point like it just <laughs> yeah, seems terrible build up do you have to do you have to rotate fingers so that you don't get like calluses yeah. on just one it hurts to type all day oh yeah, yeah. I hope none of these people are guitarists yeah you know like <laughs> exactly it seems terrible what are they doing in their spare time that they can't can no longer because of all those finger pricks they're all typing all day so I assume that that sucks. Yeah, seriously. Thinking of them sitting at those computers, I I did point out like when I was watching this movie that it is supposed to be the future. And of course, they've said it in like the 50s space era, but they couldn't even pretend to come up with like a flat screen computer in 1997. <laughs> like the computers still look like they are old school computers. And it was just like, you're going to Titan. I think you could have figured out a cooler looking computer design for all your typing. Yeah. I was also like, that's so funny that no one imagined that we would get away from clunky keyboards. Yeah. No one thought <laughs> like, right. those, those keys, I guess maybe it's, it's helpful because they can put skin cells in them. But I was like, don't we just don't we assume everything gets like sleeker, more minimal? They certainly think that like architecture and clothing will become minimalist, but they're like, Meh. no, they you needed need that as, full depth of keyboard. They needed as much room in there as possible to put in Jude Law's skin cells. Yeah, we needed yeah. it. It was it had it had a story purpose to sprinkle skin. Yeah. OK, so I wanted to touch on Titan. We mentioned that's the big mission. He's going to Titan. It's the 14th moon of Saturn, and they he says at one point, in a very cool way, he like blows smoke out of his mouth into a cocktail glass and says that that's Saturn. It's covered in a thick cloud, and we don't know what's at the center of it, and the only way to find out, I guess, is that he goes there in person. So is that true? Do we know what's at the center of Saturn, and would there be a way of finding out without going there face-to-face? -face? Yeah, so I do give them... Again, I keep trying to remind myself that this was 1997, like we hadn't done all of the things we've done now, but you definitely don't need to go to these moons to actually investigate them. So we've now sent probes past Titan and the, uh, Cassini, I think is one of the big ones that's looked at it, which has shown that, you know, there are likely liquid hydrocarbon lakes under there. So essentially like big oily lakes hmm. um you know there is a surface there and we've done all of that without having to actually go to titan so i i also feel like there is a a missing step there where it would be i don't know i mean they're sending up 12 things a day they could send out a scout little probe first to just like check that they're not going to burn up when they get there was that a huge discovery when we found out that there were these lakes like in other words is Ethan Hawke's character going to get there and go, oh my God, unbelievable what's here? Or is he going to be like, oh shit, that was a waste of my whole life? No, I think I think it was pretty cool at the time. And I, I just looked up the date. That was 2004. So that was after, you know, this movie came out. So we really didn't know that until then. But we're constantly learning more about these bodies and we're doing it without having to go there ourselves. Great. Um, Safety first. 
Yeah, just just send a rover first, maybe. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, this podcast is sponsored by Range Rover. Collect your Range Rover today <laughs> at your local Jeep uh, dealership. Use promo code Science Rover for two dollars <laughs> off your multi-thousand dollar car. <laughs> uh, he says he'll be gone a year. He's going to be back in a year, and so does that mean that we have like light speed type? transportation because i just assume going to tighten and back would be a long long time yeah i i think currently mars is still like a year that it would take us to get there based on the technology we have now so i don't think he'd need to be going at light speed it's definitely not you know thousands of au's away so i'd imagine it would take a while it would probably take a few years because we're not traveling we're not traveling at light speed Got you. Okay, so it's far. It's farther than a year is what I'm trying to say based on the tech we have now. What would you I mean, what would make sense if you were the consultant on this film? Would you say like, eh, make it a decade? Yeah, I think I'd probably put it at like seven or eight years to mm-hmm. get there. I don't think it would change anything like plot wise about the movie. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think Uma thinks like, all right, man, maybe. Right. But if it's, you know, 14 years, she's like, all right, dude. We're done. Nah. (laughs) Nah, bro. (laughs) Nah, bro. See ya. (laughs) This movie needed more nah, bro in the dialogue. Yeah, that would have been my, if I, if they had asked me how to said, uh, when he wants to swim, have him say nah, bro. And then immediately say, yeah, bro. Dude. Because it's, it only takes a moment for him to change his mind. Speaking of nah, bro moments, uh, Uma Thurman's character, Irene, hooking up with Ethan Hawke or Vincent, right after he viciously beats up a police officer and is clearly the main suspect of a murder case. Yeah. Which then she is still like, it still feels like she's cool to leave that in a dubious area. Right. Because she's still, they still have to have a conversation, which I'm so confused by. <laughs> it's it, like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that she would have that she would have sex with him after that. Right. It doesn't make any sense that they choose to shoot that upside down. It really, it doesn't make any sense the way they kiss. He's eating her face. Yeah. It's just, you want it to be sexy because it's such a, like I said earlier, buttoned up movie. It's so like, there's no like heat or humanity to this future, mm-hmm. which is like, I think what we're meant to see is like the sadness of what has happened when we control too much, which I think works. But what's good about science fiction is that they're supposed to show when like our humanity still breaks through because it can't be contained. But it just is like, no, not like this. <laughs> yeah, I felt <laughs> like, like they... I was missing scenes or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that was definitely a Nabro for me. Nabro with a bullet. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. And then everybody's favorite part of the podcast, we got to talk about the gym. Uh... <laughs> I know you guys are both gym rats, so I'm sure you love this uh, section. I have a few points here. Number one, the treadmills are facing the wall, guys. I don't know if you saw that, but that's got to be the most boring way to run on a treadmill is all all you can look at is the wall. Uh, And then a woman, a Gattaca woman, comes by and taps and taps them and says, okay, you can go, which, you know, leads me to believe that you just run, I guess, until they tell you that you're good. Even though when Vincent comes in, he leaves on his own and he just got there. He ran for like two minutes. Well, I think we are to believe, though, that that lasts 20 minutes, right? Yeah. That scene is 20 minutes because he tells Jula he needs 20 minutes of recording his heart. So that scene where like the investigators are there and he's trying to just like eavesdrop, he that scene, though, it's two minutes to us. I think in the scene is actually 20 minutes because he runs out okay. and his real heart comes through. Yes. I'll give you that, but... 
No one told him to leave. He's leaving on his own merit. Yeah. And number two, yeah. that's got to be the dumbest place to like debrief the mission director. For sure. About yeah. a sure. suspect that you think currently is somebody at Gattaca. You're going to just tell yeah. him about it at the gym in front of everybody? Yeah, the gym is wild. I love the just little like gyrosphere yep. that, you, yeah. <laughs> that you can go in. That part's rad. Um, and... Certainly, they would be alarmed by someone running out and saying, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Since I don't think anyone speaks over two decibels. Like, you know, like that <laughs> right. in itself, any sign of like human emotion seems like, well, actually, maybe you should go chase that since he just stormed out of the gym. Yeah. And apparently, they were all already alarmed because of his heart rate being up so i guess it was reading his heart and also making a noise i guess because everyone like just randomly looked at him well he ran out of time on his 20 minutes so he was running for 20 minutes and 10 seconds or something like that so his real heart kicked in started kicking in and then i think you know based on the end we know that that doctor just sort of like was trying to help him right down but i think everyone can hear the little beep beep you know the increase in the beep but that must be so annoying then to be in that gym with the beeping um the doctor also liked him too much, I would say. Anybody else get that vibe? <laughs> yeah, it was it was weird. I mean, I think what they were trying to go for was like peppering in little foreshadowing that like he knows that there's something different, but it came across as really creepy. I'm glad yeah. glad to hear you say that from a scientific point of view. <laughs> yeah. Scientifically just, creepy is a helpful delineation. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I saw, you know, oh, like they're trying to say that he notices that he is holding his penis weird. But like there's no non-creepy way to suggest that. Or if there is, I don't know what it is. But like maybe you could have come up with something else that wasn't that. Like, right. It's just a weird plot point to be like, right-handed men don't hold it with their left. Like, why is that how you're telling us you knew this whole time that, like, he was a degenerate and an invalid? Like, that is a choice that you made, and I don't know why you did that. Yeah. Yes, I, I guess I, I took it also in the moment of, like, we're so detached in this future because things are like designed and requested i mean like like alex was saying in the beginning you're just still getting options and there's like you're just getting like probabilities so are we supposed to understand that like dr blair underwood could have also said like and now this this uh this male has like a a likelihood of a bigger dick if you want to go that route but he will bald so it's kind of like a toss-up for you do you think it'll matter more that you're like because the doctor says i wish my parents had picked that out for me right <laughs> uh it's it's odd to like think about how far the catalog of decisions gets to go you know in the scene with the with Vincent's parents, it seems like reasonably grounded where you understand how that could happen, that we start with just like disease prevention and then like the creep of that. But they are still talking about eye color, hair color. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I don't think it feels weird that the next thing on the list would be dick length. I mean, we can do some of that stuff, I think, already. Am I mistaken on that, Alex? Can't we like customize your kid's eye color or something? Yeah, so what we can do and what we should do is like a huge huge ethical debate that we could talk about for like three hours but one of the things that does happen already is called pgd which is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis which usually goes with ivf so if your 
if you know that you and your partner are predisposed to a certain genetic condition, you can try and prevent that in a number of different ways. So you can do genetic testing of you and your partner to see if you have recessive genes, or you can actually go through a round of IVF and look at the genetics of those embryos before you implant. Wow. And there are a number of different things that we can like technically choose and different things that you are allowed to choose based on the country that you're in and the legality of that. But you can do things like you can choose the sex of your baby using PGD. You can often look for monogenic diseases. So I think one of the big ones that people look for is something like cystic fibrosis, where you can choose an embryo that doesn't have the gene that would cause that. You can also now there are people we can look for things like cancer predisposition. Hmm. So for people who know that the BRCA gene or the BRCA allele runs in their family, you can do PGD to try and choose an embryo that has a lower chance of cancer. Um, we can look for sickle cell. And one of the things that I was actually kind of surprised by is that you can also do like immune system matching for a sibling. So if you have a sibling that needs stem cell donation, you know, maybe has leukemia or something else like that, where they're going to need a donor, you can use PGD to choose an embryo that will be a good donor for your other child. That is within the capabilities of what we can do now. Wow. Yeah, I got to go back and switch some stuff. Um, things didn't, <laughs> things didn't turn out the way I thought. Um. <laughs> so my my question, though, for this is that you know, what they were talking about with doing the blood testing at birth, and even when they were in the doctor's office choosing traits for their child, what wasn't clear to me was whether or not they were suggesting that they're just doing, you know, we've taken the sperm and the eggs, we've combined them, and we're looking at the list of, you know, reshuffling of traits between the two parents. And this is these are your options from these four healthy embryos, or if they were moving towards a future where they can actually go in using something like CRISPR, to specifically make those changes and say, you know, because he says at one point, like, well, I took the liberty of going in and making sure there was no premature baldness, myopia, alcoholism, addictive personality, et cetera, et cetera. And I wasn't sure if he was saying, you know, well, I screened your embryos and they don't have those things. Or I went in and I changed those things. That was the thing that I wasn't sure what which one they were trying to point us toward. I'll yeah, go ahead and let I, uh, Professor McKenna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I um. CRISPR is so so fascinating to me but to me it seemed like no it seemed like maybe they had 10 healthy and he's only presenting the four who mm. met all of his additional like well everybody wants this um mm -hmm. that's how I took it but yeah that's it's definitely not clear and I think the movie itself is like enjoying living in a space where you are just like okay we do weird gene stuff now <laughs> you know mm -hmm. like to, it, to, sometimes it's benefit of like okay we're just off to the racist storytelling and sometimes it's detriment of like okay but seriously what are the rules of this world yeah i can kiss someone and get my lips swabbed and you can tell me he's a catch like whoa okay uh <laughs> yeah they just randomly throw that stuff at you but i loved like the the implications of that scene like that little mm. weird thing where like the woman's going in to get like her the genetic match of her potential you know boyfriend or whatever or girlfriend like that to me was such an interesting way to say like hey this is so normalized now that like right you know ethan hawk is gonna offer uma thurman a hair from his head to be like go look at who i really am but like what is dating in that world like do you have a genetic profile attached to your tinder profile that you're like 
looking for genetic matches too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I liked it too. I thought it was good world building, but it is like like to your earlier point of like, oh, can we really get that result that quickly? And like, it was interesting when she asked for the whole sequence. It's funny to me that it still comes on old style printer paper with the holes yes. inside, but <laughs> that it's not yes. a, no one thinks it's a digital file. Like we don't just get sent. Like there's no, we have email in 97. There's no idea that it would be a digital version. No, it's still a Let's receipt. Let's print out the entire sequence. <laughs> That, that killed me. But yeah, no, the world building of it is super interesting. Like, of course, and it seems like, oh, people would lie. You know, you'd have in yeah. your bio, I'm a 9.2. And then someone would t- take your hair and be like, you're only an 8.9. It reminded me of the Black Mirror episode that um, Rashida Jones and Mike Schur wrote mm. with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard about like yes. what the social media scores are. Yeah, I thought that part was like super interesting. Mm-hmm. But- Sounds like we need to make a like romantic comedy with just using that <laughs> part of this world, Gattaca world. Yeah, we'll just do a remake of she's out of my league and it'll be like oh man i'm a 9.1 she's an 8.7 <laughs> they don't actually find out their dna results till yeah the i love that you pointed out the printout too because this is such a tiny detail but if you printed out the human genome on sheets of paper and you put 500 like a's t's c's and g's on each sheet of paper the stack of paper would be a third of a mile tall so yeah, exactly. the idea that we also got like, oh, two page readout, like, no. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Here are the it highlights. Should, it should be a classic futuristic flash drive, you know, yes. some great mm-hmm. <laughs> that she can like put into some Google Glass and see it and scan. <laughs> um, listen, guys, I, we're running out of time, but I can't let us possibly leave without mentioning the actual killer in the movie. And for me, the weirdest character who had some of the most nonsensical scenes i don't even know his name but he's like the assistant missions director i guess he comes by vincent's desk randomly and has these like sort of unemotional talks with him but one of them i wrote down he comes over and this is like towards the end of the movie it's like there's there's shit is going down by this point and this guy comes to his computer and he says is this the approach path we discussed and it's like a path of him going to titan and it's like two days from the launch and vincent responds absolutely director and this weirdo says quite right quite right and walks away (laughs) and that weirdo just to just keep playing my own personal game of knowing of talking casting that's gore vidal so famous writer and intellectual (laughs) gore vidal cast as assistant mission director pleased to just uh kill someone because he's got to go to that moon yeah so the casting on this movie fascinating very interesting yeah so i don't know i don't know if those scenes weirded you out but for me those were like probably the lowest points of the movie because i was just I, I could not get a read on this guy and i don't i don't know what his motivations are it's very strange yeah i feel like the worst scene of the movie is him like in the interrogation room and they're just like well turns out he did it but uh the mission's going anyways so he's just cooperating <laughs> now and i guess you won't find a violent bone in my body like what that is the worst resolution to that major part of the plot. Yeah, him just <laughs> yeah. sitting in the back of that scene, just like hands folded, smiling serenely, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and Alan Arkin being like, now he's cooperating beautifully. <laughs> it was really weird. It's so, it's so, so weird. Um, I mean, I think it's it's always helpful to, to have science fiction that posits it's in the not so distant future, right? Because that's what makes it, part of like the excitement of watching it is to think like well I don't know like we could be on this path and would we be like genetically 
choosing to be less emotional um i don't i don't know i don't believe in i don't think so um so i will say that that part of the emotionality of the movie bugged me but one of the things that i i do think this movie did well was that i hadn't remembered from watching it in the past is at least raising the question of how people will deal with either being genetically modified or you know being genetically seducted or not in this kind of future because i think that's one of the big ethical questions that gets sort of lost in these discussions at least you know when scientists are talking about it we don't always think about the uh, emotional aspect of things but i think we need to because neither of those children chose to be born the way that they were born like neither of them consented to either being a i think they called it like a god birth or like putting it in the hands of the geneticist but they both had to deal emotionally with the repercussions of that. So, and Vincent had to deal with it in the way that like, he was always treated as if he was going to break every second. And he always felt like, you know, he was being held back by his genetics. But on the other hand, uh, both Jerome and Anton, who were sort of genetically selected, had to deal with the fact that like, I know you hated the swimming scenes, but I think they were, you know, he kept pushing himself because I'm supposed to be better. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be the winner, but pushed himself to a detriment. And even Jerome mentions at one point in time, like I was supposed to be genetically perfect, but I was still only second place and clearly did not deal with that fact well. And so I think it would have been so much better if they'd actually had like emotion in their voice as they talked about these things, which they did not. Um, but I do think it was, it's one of the few times that I've seen that question of, you know, consent of the children in these kind of futures and also how they're supposed to socially deal with the choices that they have not made. I think that that uh, would have resonated more if we like lived in the in the friendship between Hawk and Law a little bit more. I think yeah. we're like, we're told they've grown close, but we're not like shown it. And I think that that is ultimately like, that's like the biggest thing that's missing. But yeah, I, t I, th I totally agree. <laughs> and I guess the swimming thing that really got me is that in the final swimming scene, Ethan Hawk, to his credit, her, her Vincent is like, no, man, that doesn't matter. Like, I, I, can't, I sh it shouldn't be about competing with you. And then he's like, come on. He's like, yeah, you're right. I do want to see it. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, well, no, 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 I no, no. I also could I understand. not believe that. Yeah, that switch makes absolutely no sense. And the swimming itself is like a very helpful metaphor, especially like as they're boys growing up together. You could even get me to understand why they're swimming as grown men, but you're never going to get me to understand why he changes his mind in one second. Just like that's he's he's absolutely right to say we should not be measuring each other this way. And then it's like, but I do have to see it. <laughs> yeah, it's that that little sequence where he reveals that he's the brother and then they go out and swim felt totally like a sketch to me, like an SNL level moment. Because to go from I'm not, I'm not just an investigator who was trying to track you down as a murderer. I'm your bro. I'm your older brother. I think I can go beat you in swimming right now. Let's go. Yes. Um, I do hate to do this, Ethan. It is his younger brother, famously taller, though. younger. Oh, my God. So sorry. Um, Thank you for doing it. <laughs> Because that's the whole thing, Ethan. They have him after. Um, I don't want to offend the Gattacans, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think 
I think maybe a much more emotional beat to say like I've been I want I knew it couldn't be you and I've been looking I wanted to just see you to to see what you become and like you the fact that you could do this even though you weren't supposed to I gotta look at some stuff versus like I gotta turn you in for fraud unless you beat me swimming (laughs) (laughs) right I don't think we need this beat so Uh, funny um, I'm gonna take you uh, in for fraud unless you beat me at swimming and then the response (laughs) is like you idiot that does not matter we should not be competing in swimming and then the solution is we're going swimming right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i there's the it's too good yeah i don't know and he doesn't have to be reformed i think you can play the storyline more as like well jude law becomes more of the brother that he should have had and that's great too anyway yeah that's this is not a podcast about uh troubles in your third act pacing but i feel like that that for me was like that doesn't make any sense well listen i hope i hope you'll join me uh for my other podcast where we just try to aid film scripts and then remake them try to raise the funds for this Gattaca remake (laughs) also I know that this is like the least important point of that scene but after he sleeps with Uma Thurman he like picks up the hair on the bed and it's like oh he's leaving his real DNA behind but like Sir, you just had sex with her. I'm going to assume that there is a much better DNA source somewhere in that room. She does not need to take your hair. Yes. Yeah. A point that needed to be made. Yeah, that was crucial. And I very much appreciate you calling him sir. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sir, this must have occurred to you before you saw this eyelash. That can't be be the most consequential piece of DNA. Yeah, he's supposedly smart. That ruined it. Um, Okay, we are out of time, but Alex, you make such fantastic helpful science videos where do you recommend people watch these yeah so you can find me on all social media youtube twitter instagram and tiktok at alex danis and so youtube is probably the place for well actually youtube and tiktok are the place for the most up-to-date genetics of the now great okay please go there d-a-i-n-i-s if i'm not mistaken alex danis yes and thank you for joining us of course jessica mckenna i mean people gotta listen to off book but they're already listening am i right am i right (laughs) um i hope so yeah uh uh yeah off book is a podcast where my comedy partner and i improvise a musical um sometimes with a guest and we can be found in all places that podcasts are. <laughs> Fantastic. Any Anything else you want to tell people about? Oh, no. I mean, you can follow me on Instagram at just Jess McKenna. Don't follow me on Twitter. I don't post anything. It's just <laughs> tumbleweeds across my feed. So don't waste any energy yeah. following Seriously, me guys, it's, it's 2021 and you need to stop following Jessica McKenna on Twitter. <laughs> I'm begging you. <laughs> I'm begging it's you. The time has come. We're, we're... I'm unfollowing immediately. <laughs> Thank you. Honestly, thank you. Cut the fat. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I thank you both. This has been absolutely delightful. And yeah, I I hope that we can can talk about some other weird genetic film sometime in the future. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you so much. This is fun. Bye-bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the execu-titan-destined producer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at BadSciencePod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at BadScienceAtSeeker.com. That's BadScienceAtSeeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye.